Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Chase, white circle, shoots and scores! A shorthanded goal for Jonathan Tate. Kubelik in front, he shoots and scores! Dominic Kubelik on a belief line, right circle, shoots and scores! He set it up for Carpenter to slice, and he scores! Patrick Kane has a thousand NHL points! It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. Presented by FanList. Zach Smith enters the Sabre zone, put it down the right wing here. Doc with the back, and he scores! Kirby Doc! Chris Bowden and Joe Brand break down the latest storylines concerning your Chicago Blackhawks. Kane now with three, put it across the ring, and shoots, he scores! The cat connects with a one-timer from the left circle. Here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand. Everyone, welcome to a fresh edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast alongside Blackhawks uh, beat reporter Joe Brand, who's also your weekend sports anchor here on WGN and baseball podcaster. And maybe I should call you Mr. Brand from now on. We'll get to that later on <laughs> in the podcast because of a new role Joe has in, nope. his, in his occupation life right now. But uh, we will uh, move along here. We'll save that and keep you in suspense till the end because... It is a uh, season-ending Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Not the last one we'll do, because there are going to be some more Blackhawks folks who speak in a matter of days here, and we'll follow up with you on that. But uh, now that the season is over, it was uh, a nice little extended run, uh, one in which, Joe, we didn't uh, necessarily expect back on March 11th, March 12th, but there was a way they got in, and uh, they got a little bit more experience under their belts, but after defeating and knocking off Edmonton in four games. Uh, they got an extra game against Vegas, but uh, this was definitely a, a number one seed that they were up against. Managed to win a game. The one game they won, they probably didn't deserve to win compared to a couple of other ones. But then uh, in the end, uh, going into the third period of game number five, uh, Vegas did what they did throughout the course of most of this series and found a way to control the action in the end. Uh, the Blackhawks lose four to three. I think overall, it's it's tough to emotionally grasp this most recent series because heading into it, of course, the Blackhawks are the underdog. You talk about how different of a team they were than Edmonton, and um, the things that worked for the Blackhawks in the Edmonton series probably weren't going to work against Vegas, and that was pretty much the case. But you still had a team that really fought hard, and I know that's a cliche thing to say in sports, but I'm willing to say games two and three could have gone either way just solely on work ethic by the Blackhawks. Like you said, ironically, game four is the one that they come away with winning, even though it was probably their their weakest output. Um, But then game five, it was just more or less the same. A few periods where they figure out the best way to manufacture a goal, the best way to neutralize Vegas, but then in the end, Vegas is a deep team, a strong team, as Jonathan Taves puts, a heavy team, and it's tough to take them down when they're able to capitalize on your mistakes every time. Yeah, and three one-goal games in this one, um, in in this particular series, um, and they managed to find a way to keep it close, but you never quite got the sense 
Uh, and, and we talked about this on, on the podcast leading into the series, that this was going to be a different animal. And uh, ev- even when we spoke after uh, game number two, uh, w- when Vegas ended up uh, capturing that second game 4-3 in overtime, there was still the sense throughout all five games that uh, the Vegas was a team kind of like the Blackhawks of yesteryear where all they had to do once they found the switch, all they had to do was flip it and, and uh, against between the makeup of their roster and their style of play against what the Blackhawks are right now and their style of play that works best. Uh, this is obviously and something that you know we'll probably address a little further when we do our wrap-up podcast once we hear from Stan Bowman and Jeremy Calton and a couple of other players one more time. Uh, that's going to be uh, a difficult task in finding a way to retool the way you need to in order to be an effective playoff team the way playoff teams are effective right now. It's going to be a huge challenge. Yeah, uh, but I do think that this whole playoff experience is is so positive for this team and this organization right now because you've got all these young players that weren't expecting to keep playing hockey, and here they come away with, what, nine more games than they expected? Um, you, you get... You get the reward of hard work and preparation when you beat Edmonton. And these young players like the feeling. And they, and they that's an experience they weren't going to get if this crazy quarantine and, and pandemic didn't happen. Then you get the series where you do work your tail off and you don't come away with the victory. And you're a little bit eager to move forward and you kind of get an idea of what it takes to make a deep run in the playoffs. The core members understand that, and I think they were kind of revisited with it, and that's what brought Jonathan Taves back to his prime, at least in that first series. Um, but but you saw players adjust. You saw players fall. I mean, we could differentiate the two uh, categories and what players fall under which one, but I think it, it's a huge learning moment for this organization and this team but you're right, there are a lot of decisions to be made. There's a lot of uh, information and answers we're going to have to hear from the decision makers. And it's it's going to be interesting to see which way the Blackhawks go in a numerous amount of uh, divisions. I or, guess the best analogy to use in this, this particular series, and the Blackhawks enjoyed this during their, their cup runs of three and six years, the Vegas Golden Knights were the big brother with their hand keeping the little brother at a distance as the little brother kept on swinging and not quite connecting. And uh, they were able to just pretty much I- impose their will at the time. And, you know, you talk about young players, and we'll expand on this a little bit more, but there, there were definitely some young players um, who you could see took advantage of the opportunity. There's some that didn't, but you also wonder how much this becomes a learning experience for them moving forward. And there are others that, you know, some may wonder whether they're ever going to get to a level where they can grow and be a factor, whether it's with the Blackhawks or in the NHL. So the, the three uh, cup winners, the three three-time cup winners that are still on the roster, Duncan Keith, Jonathan Taves, and Patrick Kane all spoke after the 4-3 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights that eliminated him. Let's hear from all three and start with Patrick Kane. Obviously asked a number of subjects, obviously asked some big picture things that he wasn't necessarily ready to wrap his arms or wrap his head around right after being eliminated. But uh, in the Q&A session via Zoom with the media after that loss in Edmonton on uh, Wednesday night, it was Tuesday night. It was Tuesday night. All the days continue <laughs> uh, to run together. No one's going to figure them out. Um, what he first was asked uh, what he liked about uh, this opportunity over the course of the last month or so, 
and whether he felt there was a missed opportunity here against the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, I just like that we, we never gave up, you know. That's kind of uh, been our motto all year. I thought we, you know, it was a pretty intense game tonight. Um, hung in there, fought. Um, obviously, we got some great goaltending. Just uh, feels weird to be done, you know. Um, it's tough to be done with the season and, uh, you know, know that we're uh we're not going to be playing anymore so um you know i think our, our depth guys played amazing i think uh um they really stepped up and a lot of these young guys playing for the first time in the playoffs did some amazing things so as far as me i would have liked to have a little bit more production um happy with the way i played for the most part thought i generated and created pretty much every game but uh you know, a couple of bad breaks. I think uh, you know, four or five posts. You know, throughout the pre, throughout the uh, the postseason, would have been nice to get a bounce, maybe get some momentum going that way. But definitely would have been nice to to produce a little bit more, especially when our our depth guys played so well. Hey, Patrick, uh, I'm sure this is a valuable experience for those younger guys to get a taste of postseason hockey as far as on the ice play. Can you guys use this as a building block as a group going into next season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. It's obviously a good experience, and uh, um, you know I think it's a whole nother level when there's there's uh, fans in the building. But still, to play in these postseason playoff games um, for guys that have never done that, it's a huge uh, um, huge way to get experience for those guys. And uh, you know I think we can uh, we can build off this too as a team. Um, I'm not sure what the team will look like come next year but the young guys that were around and got a chance to play in this postseason hopefully take this as a valuable learning lesson and uh, we can can get better as a group from it. Patrick after a couple difficult years what does a season like this give you uh, confidence wise or, or excitement looking at uh, what's fairly clearly a, a direction for this team going forward with some of these young guys and your established core like yourself? Yeah, it's nice to play in the playoffs again, you know. It's been a while, so it was nice to do that this year and get a chance to do that, even though it probably wasn't looking that way in the regular season. So I um, thought we were very prepared against Edmonton, and, uh, you know, we can learn from the way Vegas plays. Um, they play hard, they play fast, but they also um, aren't afraid to uh, to jump in the rush and make plays and, uh, um, you know, use that transition to their advantage. And I think that's maybe the next step for us. So, um, yeah, tough to look on, uh, on the brighter side right now after, after a loss, but, um, you know, it's a good team over there and we can, we can learn from them. Like I said, with this series, do you think maybe you guys were closer to a team like Vegas than you would have thought in a regular season? Yeah. I mean, uh, the last two games, they probably outplayed us, but I think, uh, um, you know, the first three games of the series, I don't think we deserve to be down 3 nothing. So maybe it would have been nice to have a different um, different outcome in that situation. But uh, that's why you play the game. It is what it is. You know, you lose an overtime game. You lose a tight game uh, in game three. And all of a sudden you're down 3 nothing. It's tough to come back from that. But um, I thought we, hang- we hung in there. We fought. We gave it. Um, a good chance the last couple games. And, um, you know, like I said, Crow was great. He played amazing for us and, and gave us a fighting chance as well. Pat, obviously as you get older, I'm sure these experiences are more, you know, just priceless for you and, and certainly probably want to win another cup. With three years left on your deal, where is your level and belief that you guys are headed in that direction? 
I don't know. It's not really something I've I've thought about or um, given any thought to, uh, especially right now after after a loss in the in in the series. So um, you know, I think after you lose in this situation, you look at look at yourself, look look upon yourself to what you could have done differently and uh, and better throughout the playoffs, and um, you know, think about that first and foremost, what you what you can do to get better over the off season and. Let the other things take care of itself. As always, a lot of interesting things there from, from Patrick Kane, but um, what I was interested in hearing is his reaction to how the Blackhawks can use Vegas as a measuring stick because for so many years it was Patrick Kane and Taves and Keith who were the measuring stick for everybody else. But we kind of alluded to, alluded to it because uh, while the game has gotten faster, there are still certain elements that – a Boston Bruins who finished runner-up last year, a St. Louis Blues who were the champions, and now the Vegas Golden Knights and a couple of other of the contenders. It's it's depth and it's a uh, variety of ways that you can come at teams, and uh, that's the measuring stick right now that Patrick Kane's trying to, to grasp. And uh, now it's a matter of knowing you need a couple of different elements on this roster. The question will become how they incorporate some of those elements and whether some of those pieces are here right now or whether others are going to have to be bid farewell in order to uh, to get some of those pieces in because uh, it, it is a different animal. But even though the Blackhawks were known for skill during their cup runs, they still had so, the depth guys who were there willing to pay the price, do the dirty work, and there was certainly uh, that element to those cup runs, and that's still necessary right now. An area where the Blackhawks have a couple of guys who are willing to do that, but is still kind of lacking, and it showed against Vegas. Well, aside from the playoff experience that these young guys get, and even the guys from the core that are just revisiting playing playoff hockey, you get the experience of facing a team four or five times in a row. I mean, a series is totally different than a regular season where you just gear up for one game and then you move on, you focus on the next opponent. I mean, you're adjusting your game, you're adjusting your style each and every day when you play in a series. And the other thing is, you're getting more exposure of these players. I mean, a guy like Dylan Strome, who knows how the front office assesses him if they don't go to the playoffs. I mean, you are talking about... A whole nother stage under the limelight. How do these guys perform? And that just that gives this front office a whole nother example of these players, what their full capabilities are, how they approach these high intensity games. And for some players, it worked out. For some, it didn't. And uh, you know, even even with that opportunity, how they assess Dylan Strom even after the playoffs here is a couple of goals and an assist. Uh, what they were looking for, especially after what they saw last year when they first acquired him. Now, as he heads to restricted free agency, how has he viewed? Because depth chart wise, if he is a center, he's already been passed up by by right. Kirby Dock. So, uh, what he is looking for, uh, what he's willing to accept, whether the Blackhawks do decide to keep him around in the in the salary cap bind, and, and we'll get a little bit deeper into this uh, when we do our, our wrap-up podcast here, but that's just one of these the fascinating questions about uh, the, the pieces that the Blackhawks have and how they deal with moving some of the puzzle pieces and parts around in order to find a way to, to take that next step here. And it's guys like Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taves who feel an extra sense of urgency. Uh, they have three more years left on, on their contracts, but, uh, you know, uh, they're guys who are used to winning. Yes, they probably felt good about getting this unexpected opportunity to get a taste of playoff hockey once again. And 
you could see and hear them talk after the Edmonton series about how much they savored that, but then the reality comes in to what that bar is that the Vegas is and even right now the Colorados and St. Louis suddenly has seemed to have found a new life and other other teams that they're going to have to scratch and, and fight and claw against in order to legitimately make the playoffs if we have a normal season next year. So let's now hear from the captain uh, who was uh, meeting with the reporters after that Game 5 loss to the Golden Knights. And uh, he again was uh, asked a number of subjects, including Corey Crawford's future. The, the the goaltending situation is way up in the air concerning the Blackhawks moving forward. Um, the difficulty of taking on that Vegas team and and using them as a measuring stick, like Patrick was talking about. But uh, he was also asked about uh, the maturation of young players and how confident he is in the direction of the club. We'll circle back to that after Jonathan first talked about that matchup that they had against the number one seed Vegas Golden Knights. I think they're just they're a heavy team. They're heavy on the puck. They make it really tough for you to, to take the puck off them and turn things the other way. Um, we didn't quite do that enough in the third can you speak to the maturation of some of the younger players and what this experience will do? And, you know, just kind of looking at a, uh, a guy like Kirby, if, if he could stand to kind of be a little more selfish with the puck and think of himself offensively, it's, is that something you might, you know, guide him on? You know, uh, things would have gone the way they were supposed to uh, before this this entire situation. We wouldn't have been we wouldn't have had a, play, a chance to play in the playoffs. So I mean, um, it was a great opportunity for us to come in and, and play some meaningful hockey. And I think a lot of guys stepped up to the plate and, and showed what they can do. And I think even in this series, um, a lot of our smaller guys were, were playing a lot bigger than they are. Um, you know, go down the list, guys like DeBrinket and Highmore and. Uh, Kajula, even Kaner was throwing the body around tonight. So I think uh, a lot of young guys, I think, contributed and, and showed a lot. So um, there's definitely some some positives there. For Jonathan, I know it's maybe tough to look back at right now, but when you look at the season as a whole, what kind of confidence does it give you about the, the direction of this club, knowing, seeing all the contributions from the young guys, the established core you have, and just kind of what the future can hold for this team? Well, I mean, it's it's like I said, it was it was definitely good for us to get uh, back to the playoffs and play some meaningful games for the guys who haven't been here before, and even for the guys who have. Um, when you, you miss a couple, uh, miss the playoffs for a couple years in a row, you're watching a lot of hockey uh, late in the spring, and and uh, you kind of lose track of where you stand because there's no doubt it's it's a different level um, from the regular season and. You know, um, you know, I think there's some benefit there for, for the veteran guys on our team as well. <clears throat> Jonathan, what can you say about the postseason that Corey had, especially after having COVID not too long ago? Yeah, I mean, he, he got better and better every game, especially in this series. Um, you know, I think like Dunk said, there's there were some moments where, where we had momentum in the series and you know, where maybe pucks weren't going in for us, but a lot of moments where they're coming at us and they're throwing the kitchen sink at us and, and crow at an, at an answer for everything. So um, could have been a quick court four games if it wasn't for him the other night. Gave us a chance to, to creep back in the series tonight. Again, uh, we're close and just came down to it at the end there. So, um, 
you know, I, I, it just seems like people are quick to, to jump on him and put the onus on him. He's, he's always taken responsibility for everything, and he's always been uh, great for us, but even better in the big games, and he showed that this series as well. Even even again, like without the preparation everyone else got for, for these games, so it uh, says even more about him. Jonathan, kind of following up on that, are you, are you concerned about the goaltending situation going forward? And have you talked with Corey about his future and anything like as the captain about what he might want to do going forward? Not really. I mean, I think we um, didn't really know what was going to happen this spring, and then we all had the chance to uh, to come here and play play playoff hockey. And I think you're. You're doing everything you can and get ready in short term. So the focus was just on the here and now, and um, haven't really had the chance to have those conversations with him. And but uh, yeah, I don't know. It hasn't really goaltending situation hasn't been on my mind much. For Jonathan and Patrick and and Duncan, and to a lesser extent, uh, uh, the Corys and the Brandon Sods and and even Andrew Shaw's of the world, who was brought back uh, with the intention of being a part, uh, a piece that that's hard to play against. Uh, when you throw this mix in, yeah, I think Jonathan is much more encouraged now than he was a couple of years ago. Even though, had they just played the eighty two games, they very mal- very well may have missed the playoffs here. But you know, uh, you're seeing the turnover of the roster, and there there are some critics out there still out there saying they should have split it up after after fifteen or after sixteen. Seeing this this roster age right now, well. As long as you have these superstars under long-term contracts who have accomplished so much and they're, they, they want to continue to keep them around, this has been, whether the Blackhawks have come out and said it or not, a rebuild on the fly. So a year ago, you see, or two years ago, you see a Debrinket. Last year, at least, you see a Dylan Strom come in. This year, you see a Kirby Doc and flashes from an Adam Boquist um, and other young players who are coming up through the pipeline and now Dominic Kubalik. So I think Jonathan senses a little bit more encouragement in there, but you know he also has a sense of urgency about, you know, hey, I'm getting up there. Duncan's getting up there. Patrick's getting up there. Um, I, I would love to see us, uh, if at all possible, speed up this uh, this pace. And I'm sure all Blackhawks fans and Blackhawks management we know is probably feeling the same thing, too. Well, you're always going to get that second-guessing of what should have we done after the most recent championship when you go on somewhat of a drought. But I, I think it's fair, everything that the Blackhawks have done in terms of that decision-making with the core moving forward. Now, pieces around it are up for discretion, but, you know, Jonathan Taves, we've talked about this before, is just a guy that is going to live and die with winning hockey and just do nothing but to prepare to his fullest extent. I mean, we've seen him have a career year on the downslide and then come back with one of his best years of his career. He's just a guy that's never going to get outworked and... When you see a guy like Kirby Doc utilizing the quarantine to bulk up to become a better hockey player and move forward, I think Jonathan Taves sees a little Kirby Doc or sees a little him in Kirby Doc being a two-way center that can really contribute and be a young player and just have that type of difference making on the ice. So yeah, that is going to give him uh, some good thoughts about this organization moving forward. But but again, I, I mean. The experience that this team gained with this playoff scenario is just invaluable because you don't ex- you didn't expect it to happen. It was a total shot in the arm. They win a series, and if whether or not you thought they could or not, it, it, 
Preparation and hard work is what came down to it, and, and focusing on the opponent at hand. Now, it was too tall of a task to, to climb when Edmonton, or rather when Vegas, comes to town. But you're right. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of things to look forward to from this playoff experience. Yeah, in terms of and with Jonathan's performance, we saw that flash against Edmonton, him taking the challenge, whereas he wasn't as productive against Vegas, which is a much deeper team, a much harder team to play against. And, you know, uh, even Troy and John and I were wondering at certain points during the season with his low time on ice numbers whether he had some issues going on right there. He certainly finished uh, the series strong with game number five, getting the Hawks on the board first. But uh, you were wondering whether he was uh, bothered by something here or there that may have been uh, slowing him down or whether that was just a a fact of, uh, you know, Vegas, which is so deep they can throw any of four lines against a, a top line and any of three defensive pairings, whether that was more of a factor. Nevertheless, there were certain situations, I believe, in games three and four of that series where you wanted, okay, Jonathan's not on the ice now, and there were even some shots of him on the bench too. Uh, looking to be uh, less than his usual self. And uh, we don't usually don't find out about that. I don't know how, what the Blackhawks will reveal about any injuries, but everyone was able to answer the bell from a physical standpoint with not being scratched or anything like that. So uh, we'll see if any more is revealed on that, uh, whether Jonathan or anyone else was banged up. Uh, let's get to Duncan Keith as well. Didn't have a whole lot of Q&A with the media because he was seated alongside Jonathan uh, during the availability with reporters uh, Tuesday night in Edmonton. But uh, one of the things he's asked here uh, was what the team can learn from facing these two opponents after an initial question was directed his way about uh, how difficult it may have been or how different this environment was, whether it really felt like the playoffs um, compared to what he's been so used to. with, uh, And this is something that the young players didn't experience, hostile environments and pressure after giving up a goal of being in an enemy's building and and the arena going nuts and having to park that and regroup. So uh, he was asked to whether it, it felt much different. The playoff atmosphere and intensity felt much different in an empty building. Not really, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, it was a different energy without the fans. Uh, but uh, it was still competitive, definitely, out on the ice. And uh, <clears throat> I think you got to give... Vegas, a lot of credit for the the team that they have and the way they play, the the details and the habits, uh, you know, the predictability and within their team game, um, you know, was wasn't wasn't easy to play against. So um, I thought uh, I thought our guys battled hard, and uh, you know, there was times in in each game where we we had chances and, and momentum, but. Ultimately, it uh, wasn't enough. Moving forward uh, into the off season, into next season, what can the team learn from these two series, and, and what you guys did that, that shut down Edmonton so well, and then also what Vegas did that uh, worked so well against you guys? Uh, well, it's obviously uh, two two different teams, and um, you know, I thought we played a, a, a good team game, uh, knowing that. Uh, Edmonton had some some high powered offensive players um, that uh, uh, you know we could focus in on, and then Vegas, uh, you know, they had a well balanced team with uh, you know good uh, good balance on all lines there. Um, you know, their fourth line uh, I thought was really effective at uh, getting pucks in and 
uh, creating energy for for the rest of their their lines. It's the same with their third line. They had a little mix of everything, and then the top two lines, obviously, with a lot of skill and, and speed and playmaking ability. So, um, two very different teams, but um, you know, ultimately, uh, I think you, you, as a player, you, you see the standard that uh, that is there, um, and. Uh, you know, feel like we've uh, made a few strides this year, but uh, we're going to have to take the positives and, and try to build. Joe, uh, right there uh, near or at the top of the list when it comes to um, how young Blackhawks uh, reacted to this postseason, Duncan Keith was a guy who did uh, a tremendous job bringing a 19, now 20-year-old Adam Boquist along, along during the regular season. And you know, through that roller coaster ride, hopefully Adam is better from that moving forward, even though he may not have necessarily been ready playing alongside a two-time Norris Trophy winner and a three-time Stanley Cup champion uh, should do him good. Now, the playoffs are a completely different animal. When I asked Troy about Adam Boquist, he talks about in the postseason, individuals become targeted. Scouting reports get more intense, and um, there was a point where Adam Boquist was even a healthy scratch, I believe, for Game 3 of this series because um, he struggled against Edmonton. He struggled even more against Vegas. Uh, the question about him is always going to be how strong he can get. Uh, we haven't seen the offensive ability yet because I think he's been more focused on taking care of the defensive end of the ice during his rookie season. But there were times, a couple times in this series, where uh, – he was taken advantage of by this big, huge Vegas Golden Knights team. Another example was in, in Game 5 on the uh, game and, and series clincher when, when Alex Tuck drove the net just a minute and a half in. You could see some of Adam's reactions, knowing exactly what he did wrong, um, pained expressions on his face, uh, knowing that everybody knew that as well. So in this shortened off season, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what adjustments he is going to be able to make. And this is a huge player, a former top 10 pick back in 2018, when the Blackhawks have a very, a lot invested in, uh, especially after, you know, getting another, rid of another young defenseman uh, who was drafted the year before him. A big investment in Adam Boquist. We know what the offensive potential is, but in terms of becoming a well-rounded, top 10 worthy draft pick. Uh, I'm sure he is well aware of what he needs to do. Now it's a matter of, of uh, getting himself uh, physically ready for a long-term successful NHL career. You mentioned the cameras catching his emotions after mistakes and goals being let up. That's Again, I brought this up a few podcasts ago. I, I did enjoy that with this whole new no fans in the arena playoff hockey because the moment a goal is scored typically they do the pan across the arena they can't do that here so (laughs) they show the losing team and you see that anxiety that frustration I mean we saw Jonathan Taze Alex Nylander Adam Boquist Alex Dabrinkit slamming sticks I mean more than you normally see uh, I did enjoy that aspect, whether or not it was against or for the Blackhawks. Uh, but I thought you put it well earlier when you talked about flashes with Adam Boquist, because I mean, let's face it, the dude is is practically 19. He just turned 20. That's basically a 19-year-old out there in an environment he is not used to whatsoever, which is playoff hockey and playing with a Norris Trophy winner of Duncan Keith. Now, I wonder if that puts a lot on Duncan Keith because there were a, f- a handful of mistakes by Adam Boquist in this series especially. So 
Is Duncan Keith maybe playing a more reserved game to make sure his line mate or his defense mate isn't uh, making very costly errors? Because the, the thing about him is so many times he just got caught being so cautious in the neutral zone, whether or not to attack the puck and where the guy's going with it, like you mentioned with that Alex Tuck goal, or to skate backwards and play a more defensive-minded rush. And you saw him get, like you said, burned on it a few times. And those are those are young mistakes. I'm not going to hold it too much to a guy that's 19 years old playing in his first playoff hockey series, but we've still seen flashes of a very good defensive hockey player that can that can hopefully be a, a huge contributor to this team down the line. Maybe Kirby Dak will share his uh, quarantine uh, workout program with, with uh, Adam Boakwist. Yeah, he could he could bulk up a little bit too. <laughs> Adam Boakwist, uh, right now to be a successful player, has to use his his uh, quickness, stick work, timing, spacing. But there's another aspect that he's uh, definitely going to uh, have to work on here, uh, and hopefully you kind of see that next step from him based on the investment that's been made uh, with the 2018 first-round draft pick. Finally, let's hear from the head coach. And I thought, as I said, Jeremy was really good during the course of this series, pretty much telling it like it is with the way Vegas would be able to control the action over long stretches and the Hawks' desire, if not the ability at times, to shorten those dominant stretches that Vegas had down at their own end of the ice when that ice started tilting in uh, an unbelievable fashion down towards the Blackhawks' goal. So uh, he has uh, speaks on a number of subjects here. You know, he's asked some big picture questions right after being eliminated, and he really can't grasp that to this level in terms of what his plans are moving forward. He also talks about the John Quenville decision, uh, deciding to rotate him in for the second time in the playoffs over some other options when they decided uh, to uh, scratch a forward. In this case, it was Alex Nylander. He also talked again about learning what they can from Vegas, learning what they can from this playoff experience. But uh, he first opened up with his own opening thoughts and remarks. Tough to be done. Um, disappointing. We want to keep going here. Um, you know, you, you dream of playing in the playoffs and you love, love to be in these situations and playing in big games. Uh, you know, I thought our team played very hard. Um, you know, ultimately, we, we came up against an excellent team with a ton of depth who, uh, they just kept pushing us, and I thought we responded well in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways. We just uh, couldn't quite, uh, you know, find the consistency throughout games to you know to get a couple more wins on the board. But uh, you know, can't can't fault the work ethic and the commitment our team had uh, throughout the playoffs. Uh, but we used you know certainly the opportunity here uh, to come to Edmonton, um, you know, and, and win a playoff series. But uh, you know, no one, no one can be satisfied with with uh, being eliminated, and uh, that's where we are now. Hey, Jeremy, is there anything you learned from this group during the, this postseason run that maybe um, you you didn't see in the regular season? Well, it was just good to see um, us take that next step in our team game to, to play the way we need to play to win a playoff series and compete against uh, you know an elite team in Vegas or the top seed and. I thought, uh, you know, we were right with them in, in most of the games here. Um, just nice to see us improve and, and take that step. There's more to come, and, uh, you know, we got to use this experience to improve and understand uh, the standard that we need to get to to, to beat a team like this. But uh, I think that's the biggest thing is just 
nice to see us take that step. Do you know right now how much, like, what your off-season plan might be, how much time you might give these guys um, before you start communicating and having staff meetings? In other words, uh, how different, because of the circumstances, might this be from a normal off-season? No idea. Um, you know, we were here totally focused and invested on the day that you're you know you're in you just focus on the day you're either you're either preparing for a game um you know evaluating the game before getting ready for the next game or you're getting ready to to play and uh that's that's all you're thinking about so um i have no idea what i'm even doing tomorrow figure that out later jeremy you mentioned the steps that the team took in the playoffs and, and the growth there but when you look at the season as a whole and some of the young guys stepping up, the the veteran core continuing to, to stick around. What kind of excitement does that give you looking ahead towards the future and, and where this club is headed? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to I – don't, I don't feel like I'm in the mood to, uh, you know, summarize the season or, or, you know, think about that. We, you know, we're here to win, and we just lost the playoff series, and so that's the taste that's in everyone's mouth. And, um you know, again, yeah, we, we played hard, but we, we want to still be playing. We're not. So um, that's that's where I'm at right now. Jeremy, uh, John Quenville is not a guy you used a lot during the season. What went into the, the reasoning behind playing in today? And, and in such a prominent role, too. Yeah, well, we liked him during the season. I think he had a good stretch of games. Uh, you know, we ended up, he went down to Rockford basically because of, roster situation and uh, he got injured and uh, we didn't get a chance to get him up again and you know he came to camp and got injured again and so um took us a while to sort of get him up up to speed and available for us but we i mean it just the size and uh he's he provides some physicality he's got a great shot and uh i thought he did well today uh, obviously, I know you said you're um, not in the mood to summarize the season understandably but uh I guess maybe this series, uh, when you look at this, what can you learn about what Vegas did so well against you guys and hopefully apply that to your own game next season? Yeah, well, they have uh, a lot of different elements to their team. They have uh, some offensive guys who uh, are dangerous whenever they're on the ice, but uh, I think for the most part, a lot of them play a tremendous two-way game, and that's hard to play against. Uh, And then they have you know, their depth guys, they're able to tilt the ice and, and uh, you know, hold you down in your defensive zone and outchange you. And, um, you know, they're, they're a physical team. They make you pay a price to make plays, and they just come at you over and over again. I think their discipline uh, within their, their team game is outstanding. They make you earn what you're going to get, and, you know, that's what you need to do come playoff time. And, uh I think we showed we can do that for, for stretches and long stretches, you know, whole periods and, and you know, the large part of games. But uh, ultimately, to, to beat a team like that, you got to do it all the time and just kind of outwill them, uh, do it for longer than them. And uh, I thought the first series we did that and the second we didn't. Kind of building off that, do you believe that you need a little bit more size up and down the roster to compete with a team like this and, and to go on long playoff runs for – to, you know, to win a war of attrition, so to speak, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll look at that. Obviously, we'll, you know, you're always trying to think of how we can be better and how can we be hard to play against. Um, 
size can be part of it. It's also, um, you know, if you don't have size, you can be hard to play against whether, you know, you're just getting through guys' hands and making them work for their space, getting bumps on them. And, and you, but you can also be hard to play against with your speed and, and your uh, relentlessness and just pressure on the puck and just always being above them and, and getting your stick in there and forcing turnovers and just kind of never stopping. And, I, you know, that's, there's different ways to be hard to play against. And uh, we'd like to have a little bit of everything. So looking at young guys, uh, do, do you think in some ways being in the bubble helped their, their bonding and, and also looking at the maturation of someone like Kirby, you know, he's done a lot of good things, but do you think this could be a learning experience to not be as deferential? He's always seems to be looking for his, his other teammates offense as opposed to himself. Um, well, first with the, the bubble, I think it was great for the team to, you're kind of forced to spend so much time together and even actually the, the coaches just being closer to the players and, um, you know, I think that was good for everybody, but, uh, you know, as the young players, you know, of course this experience is, is going to be huge and, and we want to just prolong it, go as far as we could. Uh, every moment in here was, was, uh, was a positive. So, uh, that's only going to help these guys just be in here and even going to games. Like a lot of the guys, you know, you see them going to watch the other playoff games and just seeing how, you know, like the blues play and how hard they played, um, you know, to crawl back into the series, that that kind of thing is, is hugely valuable as, uh, and we want to be that team. We want to be an elite team. We want to competing, be competing for cups. So, uh, they'll, they'll get better for this for sure. All right. Let's start with it with the John Quenville decision for the second time in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Jeremy Carlton, the coaching staff, deciding to rotate him in. There were options like Dylan Sakura, who had himself a very strong training camp. Brandon Hagel, who in his one NHL game flashed well. A little harder edge player among the uh, the black aces that was available. But John Quenville's an even harder edge player, if not giving you the offensive upside. And he put him right on that top line as he moved Brandon Saad down. There was, still, there was still a lot of mixing and matching going on. But at least to start the game, he was on with Kubalik and Jonathan Taves. And Quenville ended up getting you know the numbers that you usually expect him to see, some block shots and some hits, if not quite the offensive upside of the others. But um, Alex Nylander, yeah, a very quiet playoff here. This is something we were wondering about. Uh, as training camp was going on, as he continued to flash with Dylan Strome and Patrick Kane and look outstanding, but that was training camp. And again, it was a very quiet playoff for Alex Nylander, the decision to put John Quenville in uh, over Dylan Sakura, Brandon Hagel. Um, that was likely the consensus move among the coaching staff for trying to provide exactly what they needed. Uh, John Quenville, a little bit more experience under his belt compared to Brandon Hagel, who at least uh, provides that kind of bulk, and Dylan Sakura, a smaller player. I think uh, if I had to make a guess, you know, Jeremy didn't specifically come out and say, but he was just looking for a heavier type of player to combat what Vegas continued to bring to the table throughout the series and what they're known for, too. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I, I don't know. I was, I guess I was expecting to see a Dylan Sakura just because of the end of the training camp he had before the team shipped off to Edmonton. You get a, an offensive, skilled guy that could maybe you know throw the puck towards the net a little bit more. 
Um, I'm o- I'm okay with with it being John Quinville. I, he, he was fine. He was you know finishing checks and all that. I think Troy put it best on the air. Alex Nylander was given a very long fuse, and it just didn't turn out to fruition. Um, the one thing I, I think is fair to question, though, is having John Quinville out on the ice in the final few moments when the Blackhawks absolutely need a goal. Um, I am not saying it's a make or break for the series. clearly isn't. Uh, but th- I think that's fair to question just because, I mean, the season is on the line right there. You've got, you've got so many offensively skilled players. Why not just mix it up a little bit when you got a man advantage and you, you pull Corey Crawford? But um, I know you wanted to talk about Jeremy Colleton this series. And, I, I mean, he's always been a blunt guy. He's always a guy that, that never seems satisfied with his team. He'll... He'll credit them when it's due, but he's always just asking for more, and I think that's a great quality in a coach. And I, like I said, I, I I thought he he did very well with the entire Edmonton series. I, I thought it was it was um, a, a very deserving series win. I'm happy for the guy. He's done nothing but just face adversity since he's been called up here. I think he's still a brilliant young minded coach. Uh, it's it's just um, he's he's definitely going to be put every decision he makes is going to be put under a microscope, especially when you lose a series. But again, when you break it all down, this was the better team. Who knows how many games the Blackhawks could have drawn out? But if they play this series a hundred times, Vegas probably wins ninety five. Yep, and, and and like like any coach, not immune to criticism. There are. Uh, instances where he he can be second guessed, but one thing about Jeremy is uh, some may say he should have made a call like this earlier, and he should have made a call like this uh, earlier in the season uh, uh, with with Brent Seabrook or with Adam Boquist when they needed to take a seat where they may not have been you know uh, one of the top uh, the top six defensemen playing at a particular time, and he did this now with Alex Nylander, whether he waited too long or the the collective decision was waiting too long with Alex Nylander. Um, This is another one of those young players moving forward where, you know, is what you see what you get. Um, I know a lot of Blackhawk fans um, and 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 critics are are positive. This is all you're going to get from Alex Nylander because uh, it's a reputation that carries over from his previous stop. So that's just a, among the the difficult decisions with some of these young players who didn't take this opportunity to grasp it. And we saw some of a lot of uh, the bad habits that a couple of the young guys had during the course of the regular season carry over into this playoff and burn them. And uh, as a result, you need growth. Uh, Stan Bowman has said time and again, in the situation the Blackhawks in, and we'll get into this in our next podcast to wrap up the season again, when you have a flat salary cap, you need young player, cheap young players who can contribute. And um, he's continued to find some here and there in the likes of, you know, Debrinket and Kubalik and last season Dylan Strom. And with every season that turns, though, how those players perform will affect, uh, you know, the strategy moving forward and, and some tough decisions will have to be made. I'm surprised we've gone through this whole podcast without even mentioning Corey Crawford's name. I mean, he came up huge in Let's this series. Let's do it series. now. Let's do it now. And, <laughs> Sounds and, like a good time. And we'll talk about the bigger goaltending picture uh, when we do wrap things up here in a few days. But um, uh, Corey, there were times where he definitely didn't look himself. He looked like a guy who didn't have an entire training camp under his belt on a couple of goals. 
um, but then uh, gradually elevating his game. And then, um, uh, unfortunately, even though those of us who are greedy would have liked to have seen the Corey Crawford from game number four against Vegas a little bit earlier in the playoffs, especially in this series, uh, he simply won that game for them flat out because it was another one of those situations where, and this is another thing where we also bring Jeremy into the mix in terms of philosophy and the personnel that he has. This situation where the Blackhawks have, you know, been out attempted and out high danger opportunity. This even goes back to the latter days of Joel Quenville when you start talking about personnel or grasping systems and Jeremy tried to tweak things in order to make the Blackhawks a bit more of a defensive-minded team and what he was trying wasn't necessarily working with the guys that he had so he stepped back adjusted and made some adjustments that the guys you know were more comfortable with and all of a sudden then you saw this team go on little spurts where they got back into contention so you know he's been flexible that way but um this is why uh, the continuation of the fact that the Blackhawks have had difficulty structure-wise in their own end is why you needed both Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford, why they went out and, and had both of those guys in the mix heading into this season. And, you know, if you're only going to have one of those, if it's just Corey, uh, or, or all of a sudden you're just going to cut loose and rely on Colin Dealey and maybe another veteran you bring in or a combination uh, of someone here or there, um, Corey has the capability of coming up big. He'll be 36 on December 31st. Um, you know, so as we probably go a little deeper into that on this next podcast, uh, he flashed again uh, that form that he had both in games four and five that we saw the last 15, 20 games of the regular season when he was given that after Robin was traded. That conversation we were bringing up earlier, how this playoff experience makes or rather gives more for the front office to work with with some of the younger guys same is to be said for Corey Crawford I mean this is a guy that had no time to prepare in training camp he comes into the playoffs has a little bit of a rocky start but still the Hawks come away with one loss in the opening series then he stands on his head in game four and is the sole reason why the Blackhawks live for another day I mean he really shows his value once again. Who knows what's going to happen with Corey Crawford moving forward, but but he just goes to show you why he is still one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. You almost wonder how different it would play out if he didn't come down with coronavirus. I mean, just from a health standpoint, you wish that on a person. Um, but from a sports and hockey standpoint, you wonder too. But the other thing is, the Blackhawks got pretty lucky with their health situation heading into the postseason. I mean, at one point, we didn't know if we'd see Calvin DeHaan, Connor Murphy, Jonathan mm-hmm. Taves, Corey Crawford. We saw them all. Now, of course, I don't want to label the Blackhawks as lucky after Corey Crawford comes down with coronavirus. It seems like everything is okay for after having that disease. So, obviously, long-term effects, we hope everything is okay with Corey Crawford. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you're... Yeah. He just stated his case, once again, of why he is one of the top goaltenders in the league. I know you bring up his age, but this is a guy that did not prepare for the playoffs, and he comes out and does that. Yep, and and goalies can stick around a little bit longer as long as they take care of themselves for the most part. It's not like a a skater losing a half step here or a step there over the course of his career. And, um, you know, Corey showing at this point he is is, uh, perfectly capable of 
coming up and being a solid goaltender once again once he he got his legs underneath him and he did just in time in that game four for to allow the Hawks to salvage uh, at least one game out of the series against the Vegas Golden Knights. We're greedy. You want more. But it was fun to get back together and talk about uh, at least nine of the 12 games that we lost at the end of the regular season and under uh, a very, a very unique environment. And so there are many, many questions moving forward. And we'll get to, uh, to that. We'll likely have another podcast for you at some point over the weekend once uh, some of the Blackhawks make their final comments, including from uh, Vice President and General Manager Stan Bowman. He's expected to speak with the media one last time for uh, the decisions, the dilemmas that he will face over the course of the next couple of months because the way the CBA is laid out, I said this again on the broadcast, um, uh, the post-game show, the way things are laid out, and if, if things go smoothly here, they're talking about training camp opening up on November 17th and the regular season in some form or fashion, whether it ever gets to become flying from city to city to city to city as you normally do during a regular season, that's starting up on December 1st. So, why should I be calling you Mr. Brand? <laughs> Tell the folks about your new job. Oh, boy. Well, what a crazy state and country we live you in. You don't have to get into specifics about where this is, um, but um, you are a man of many hats. Yeah, well, a man of many hats and a man that has to pay some bills. Uh, I am going to begin substitute teaching once again. I've actually done this for the past couple of years. It's, uh, you know, everyone calls their side job moonlighting. I try to I try to constitute radio and play-by-play and podcasting and and uh, hosting and anchoring as my actual job, and then I'm daylighting as a substitute teacher. I'm very, very lucky because the district I work in, uh, they're very flexible with my schedule. They understand my situation, but they, they do expect me to you know, be a full-on teacher when it's time to teach a class. Uh, I typically will try to pick up the gym classes if I can because it's easier <laughs> to uh, just moderate a basketball game rather than teach a class how to dissect a frog, which I have done before. Um, but yeah, it's it's during the day. It's it's not required of me to have a schedule. I basically can just see if they need a sub that day, and I, if they do, I'll hop in the car and head on over and do it. If they don't need me. No sweat off or my back. Or stay at home on your computer and wave. Well, the kids. yeah, that's the thing. Nowadays, it's uh, it's all virtual learning, yeah. so I am learning stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I'm taking over for a teacher on maternity leave, so this is actually a, a much longer term than I've ever done before. But yeah, this is this is just definitely a, a a good way to pay the bills. But I'm happy to help out some young kids as well. Obviously, it's a uh, and how young are we talking here? Junior high, junior oh, high. Yeah, okay. I I was telling you, I I. Junior high is the perfect age where you don't have to hold their hand with every single thing that they do, and I don't want to touch dealing with high school kids because that just seems like a whole event in its own. But I mean, like, heck, I did a, a kindergarten. You don't want to touch high school kids. <laughs> no, no, that's that's besides that. Uh, I did I did a kindergarten class once, and it it's comes down to just all right. It's breakfast time. Here's your cereal. Here's your milk. And the kid opens up his milk carton and just flips it upside down, okay. and it goes all over. Okay, then you're Mister Clean. What do I do now? Yeah, where are the paper towels? And I go, hey, you two, can you head out to that class and see if they got paper towels? Was that the r- the right decision? What I just did. So, uh, yeah, it's um. So you know the, the substitute teacher reputation though is is once once the kids see a re, uh, substitute teacher it's like okay free class here's Mr. Nice Guy yeah so are you are you nice Mr. Brand or uh, me Mr. Brand you know what it it depends it depends on what the teacher expects I mean if I got a, a teacher that 
put on a movie or whatever, then okay, I'm going to be a little bit more lenient. But I mean, if they actually that's what most substitute teachers do. It yeah, is. That was the reputation when I was. Uh, when I was <laughs> but you know, I don't always get that lucky. A lot of times, it's like, all right, here's the lesson plan. Here's what they're working on. Feel free to teach. And I'm like, okay, I I might actually have to teach a little bit. So yeah, I try to follow the rules as best I can. Uh, I try to keep at least a good reputation with all the other teachers and, and the uh, front office staff in, in a school just to make sure I can still have that job when I need it. Another side to my podcast partner here. <laughs> we just keep peeling back the layers of, of Joe Brand. I don't know so. how many more layers are left, you're versatile. You're Mr. Versatility. Yeah, so, well, yeah. like good spot and a good time. That's, that's all I can say. All right. Well, good luck with the kids. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll be back at you with another Blackhawks Crazy podcast to kind of wrap things up in this season. And um, uh, one other point I wanted to make was the Hawks are now exiting the bubble. And so Vegas technically has one series win under their belt. They go If they go three, whichever team makes it to the Stanley Cup final, they're in that bubble and from late July until early October. And I was talking about this with Troy about the different kind of mental grind that has to be, whereas instead of hopping on planes and having the physical exhaustion of going back and forth, especially if you're you know flying from Chicago to Anaheim, as was the case during a series back in 2015 with the Blackhawks, it's an entirely different kind of mental grind. You know, they, they installed all the, the toys and fun stuff at the beginning of the bubble, and I think they're, they're probably expanding that a little bit, but uh, it's got to be a different kind of mental challenge keeping your wits about you in such a largely confined environment. The, the, whoever, whoever wins the Stanley Cup this year, they definitely deserve to win it for, for going through what these guys are going through right now. I honestly wonder what kind of mental toll it takes when you're just trying to escape mentally. Because, I mean, you think about it, if if you lose a, a, a devastating game in Game 4 or Game 5, it's like, all right, get back to the dressing room. What's on the schedule? What time is the plane? Where do I need to be? When do we get to the hotel? So, I mean, those types of simple things might help keep your mind off it but when you're in the bubble you lose the game you go back to your hotel and you sit and you think about it yeah i mean that that's got to be tough yeah you, you can't you can't afford to be out there alone you know <laughs> because right. they don't allow that so i, I just want to make that point uh, since we're talking about the playoff situation here we'll be oddly largely uh, obviously blackhawks future uh centric and our uh, wrap-up podcast, again, coming uh, your way probably at some point this weekend after the Blackhawks have their last media availability. want to thank uh, Ernie Scatton, our producer, Curtis Koch, for putting this all together, as always. And want to thank you for listening. We'll uh, give you a heads-up probably Saturday or Sunday when we come back with a wrap-up podcast, unfortunately. But uh, we got to do several extra ones here. Grateful for that during uh, this wild 2020 season and year and uh we can only hope that next year is a little bit more normal next season is a little bit more normal but again uh, we'll let you know i'm at at Bowden tweets joe is at at joe underscore brand one um maybe he'll be at joe brand teacher as well sometime soon with an alternative twitter account <laughs> now students take out your phones right. go on twitter follow at joe brand and follow the blackhawks crazy podcast <laughs> right so uh we appreciate you all listening thank you for listening and uh we'll talk to you again likely later on this weekend Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets, and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great!